When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When I wake up, well, I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who wakes up next to you. When I go out, yeah, I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who goes along with you. If I get drunk, all right, well, I don't know if you knew this or not, but Oklahoma. Kind of jumped over a massive hurdle last Saturday in Cincinnati when the Sooners moved to 4-0 and on the season. It was that fourth game in 2022 that jumped up and bit Oklahoma. The Sooners dropped a home loss to Kansas State to open up conference play this this year. I mean, it wasn't pretty 20-6, to but it gets the job done. The Sooners 4-0, 1-0 in Big 12 conference play. Get ready to host Iowa State. We'll talk about that in another episode. I'm going to try to do something that we've never done before uh, in the Sooner Nation podcast. I'm going to try to do two in one day. Um because of time, I don't want to waste your time by making you listen to listen to an hour and a half long podcast. And also, I don't know that I have time to sit down and record it all because I need to talk about a couple of things uh, that are in the wake of Oklahoma's win over Cincinnati that I really kind of feel like um, are out of pocket for the Iowa State preview. So we're going to do two separate ones here. And because I feel like, I I, I feel like, there is a portion of our fan base that just, they're not happy unless they can find an area to complain. I mean, we're talking about a team that's 4-0. We're talking about a team that is much improved over last year. Is this going to be a perfect team? No. Is this going to be a national championship caliber team? Most likely not. Can they compete for the Big 12 championship? Absolutely. And you're talking about a team that I'm sold. I'm sold that this is a, uh, you know, we went into the season, what's the win total? What uh, You hope that they can get 10, right? You hope that they can get 10 wins. And I've seen them play four games. And now the, the thought is, if they don't get to 10 wins, if this team is is at eight wins or nine wins, it's a disappointment after what we've seen through four weeks. Now, they're still going to get into some of the, the heavier uh, heavyweights you know, on the schedule, but don't overlook that Cincinnati defensive front. We talked about that last week coming into this game, being on the road, having to face that front. I think it's a top three front in the Big 12. I think the only, uh, the only team left on Oklahoma's schedule that's going to have a defensive front that's better than what they faced in Cincinnati is going to be next weekend in the Cotton Bowl when they face the Texas Longhorns. But we've got a team that's, that's 4-0. We've got a team that should be on pace for at least a 10-win season. We've got a team that's probably going to play Texas twice for the Big 12 championship. And we weren't there this time last year. This time last year, we were watching the wheels fall off. Now, we didn't know that that the winning streak was going to be in jeopardy as far as winning seasons. We didn't know that possibly they wouldn't make it to a bowl game. 
We didn't know any of that after week four. We just knew this team wasn't what we thought they were through the first three weeks. Now you're four weeks in and you're thinking, it's a pretty dang good football team. Defensively, they're better. Offensively, they're better. Special teams, they're better. The coaches seem to have a stronger command, a stronger rapport, if you will, with the guys on the field. The guys on the field that, you know, you flush out the Alex Grinch of that defense. You flush out the softness and the finesse of Lincoln Riley on the offense. And there are things to complain about with this team. Don't get me wrong. There are things to complain about. I just feel like we're barking up the wrong tree. I'm I'm from Oklahoma, so I can say barking up the wrong tree because that's what we do here. It's a, this is a team that they've been through four games. They've allowed 34 points, 34 total points. That's the fewest point total an Oklahoma team has allowed through the first four games since 1992. I like to talk about how, um, how the, what portion of the fan base was alive and what portion of the fan base was yet to be born when such and such activities happened because Bob Stoops arrived 24 years ago. So you got guys that have graduated that they don't know what it was like in the mid-90s. Now you're going back to 1992. So for a lot of people, they weren't even walking this earth the last time Oklahoma's defense got off to a start this well. They're a top four team nationally, both in scoring offense and scoring defense. 46.8 points per game is what they're scoring. 8.5 points per game is what they're allowing. This is a good football team through four weeks. And again, they didn't make it through four weeks last year. Last year in week four, it was like, oh my gosh, Adrian Martinez has never played this good before. That's how bad Oklahoma's defense was. Now you've got a defense that's given up just eight and a half points per game. You've got an offensive scoring 46.8 points per game. And Brent Venable said in his press conference this week, he talked specifically about Dylan Gabriel. Not perfect. This team isn't perfect. But we have to at least step back and acknowledge how much better they are than the product we saw on the field a year ago. And there's really two areas that I feel like we we want to be super, super critical. There's two areas, and I don't understand them. Because I'm, I'm going to tell you the two areas that I believe that we're super critical. And then I'm going to tell you the areas where I believe we should be super critical. So we're really critical because of the defensive pass rush. And I think we just look at box scores and we don't see the quarterback sacks. We see guys get close and we see guys miss. They're averaging just under two sacks per game. And defensive dominance, especially up front, it was defined for so long by the number of times you sack the quarterback. But offenses have changed. The athleticism of quarterbacks has changed. And and the critical is the, the thought, the, the misconception is, well, they're not getting pressure in the def- in the in the backfield. The defensive line can't get through. That's not true. That's not true. And the way you know that is you don't look at quarterback sacks anymore. Yeah, it's an important part of of what the defense does, but you don't, that's not a defining stat anymore. Now what the defining stats are 
quarterback hurries. How many times do you disrupt the play with a quarterback hurry and tackles for loss? That's what defines whether you're making plays in the opponent backfield. And by the way, Oklahoma is doing really well in both of those categories. So we're, 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 we're griping because we don't see quarterback sacks, but we're failing to acknowledge the defensive plays that are being made in the offensive backfield. The other area that we're, we're griping, and this is, I mean, people are finding that this is the hill I'm going to die on. You're not changing my mind. And it's, it's both sides. And it's, it's over Dylan Gabriel. There are people still, after a 4-0 start, there are people still who are ready. Put in Jackson Arnold. And, and I think as long as there's a five-star quarterback on campus, that's going to be the play. We saw it. We got, you, you know, go back to Lincoln Riley. I know we don't like to do that, but we saw it. We saw Spencer Rattler, five-star quarterback. The five-star quarterback comes in in Caleb Williams. Spencer Rattler struggles. By the way, the struggles that Spencer Rattler faced were far more significant than the struggles that Dylan Gabriel has faced. But what do we do? Let's bench, let's bench Spencer Rattler. Let's put in Caleb Williams. And you know what? In that moment, it was probably the right call. Especially in that Texas game. It was absolutely the right call. I don't believe that's the right call right now. I don't. There, there's no way. I mean, think, again, go back to the struggles that Spencer Rattler had and think about what Dylan Gabriel's doing. If I were to tell you, let, let's, let's, uh, we're walking out of the Cheez-It Bowl, right? Oklahoma just lost their seventh game of the season to Florida State. First time they've had a losing season since 1998. And I say to you, you know what? Here's the thing. This time next year, you finish the month of September. You're going into the last week of September. And you're going to have a quarterback that's number 11 nationally in passing yards, number three nationally in completion percentage, number 11 nationally in yards per catch, or yards per completion, and number, uh, number five nationally in touchdowns. If I tell you that walking out of the cheese Bowl, you're going to take it. I would have taken it. But if I tell you that that quarterback's Dylan Gabriel, 50% of you guys are going to be, no, 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 I don't want that. I don't want Dylan Gabriel. But do you understand? 1,227 passing yards, 78% completion percentage, 10.5 yards per completion, 12 touchdowns. But he overthrew Jalil Farouk. I mean, come on. He's not perfect. I'll never defend a guy by saying that he's perfect. But what I will say is he's been pretty dang good to start this season. And what I will say is that his struggles are nothing compared to what Spencer Rattler was going through when he was benched for Caleb Williams. And it's also worth noting. I mean, this is worth noting. We, we looked at that game against Cincinnati, by the way. He scored two touchdowns. One, one running and one passing. But we look at that game and we think, well, that's the worst game he's played all season, which is true. Statistically, it's true. But it's not a coincidence that that worst game he's played all season came against the best defensive front that they've seen all season. And it's, it's going over to Iowa State real fast. One of the things that we're going to need to talk about is 
this is a good spot for Oklahoma's offense because you faced a really good defensive front in Cincinnati. You're going to face a solid defensive front in Iowa State and then another really good defensive front against Texas. So it gives you the chance to see where some some of your weaknesses are. By the way, you were without a starting offensive lineman in that game against Cincinnati. But you get to see where some of your weaknesses are Maybe some of the adjustments that you need to make, and then you get to come back against a strong defensive front in Texas. But I, I don't think we're barking up the right tree. Honestly, I just I feel like if we're going to gripe and complain, if we're going to nitpick a team that's top four offensively, a top four defensively, let's nitpick them on these areas. I think there's I think there's really I think there's three areas about the team. And then there's a bonus area that we can complain about. If we're if we're gonna if we're gonna concentrate our efforts on complaining, I think we should start with the running game. Now, Brent Venable says they would really like for somebody to emerge in that in that offensive backfield. I think you know Sooner Nation is right there with him. And I said this after the Tulsa game. I I can't figure it out. I I can't figure out. What's happening? They they did say this week again. Venable said it's about practice time, but it's Tawee Walker, it's Marcus Major, it's Javante Barnes, it's Tawee Walker. I mean, it's it's back and forth on who is your feature back. Now the good news is if if you're an opponent, you don't know who to prepare for. But the bad news is if you're a fan, you have no idea what's happening. In Oklahoma's run game, when you look at what they're doing offensively, Oklahoma's run game is way way way. Way behind. And that's got to change. Be it Jeff Levy and DeMarco Murray sticking with the guy, good or bad, or be it one of those four jumping up in practice and saying, okay, I'm going to be the guy. I'll emerge. I'll be the guy that takes control of this backfield. But there's way more, way more cause for concern, way more cause for complaining about Oklahoma's running game than there is any other aspect of this team, offense or defense. I think you look at um, you look at the punting game, and there's some concerns there. Josh Plaster has been inconsistent. Now, he's averaging 40 and a half yards per kick on 11 punts this season, but he's been incredibly inconsistent. And, and you look at special teams, it's, it's kind of been a mixed bag, right? Because... We, we our expectations went up so high when Gavin Freeman returned that punt for a touchdown. But then you got Jaleel Farouk fumbling the opening kickoff of the Tulsa game. Really nothing great or nothing spectacular happened against Cincinnati last weekend. And you got a, a punter who's a little bit inconsistent. So you you can specifically talk about punting, but you could also make a, an argument, a strong argument, that Oklahoma special teams itself is inconsistent. Gavin Freeman's punt return for a touchdown was a month ago. Then that's the last time Oklahoma special teams did something really, really good. Because you can't count Jaleel Farouk's kickoff for the Tulsa game. You can't do it. It was fumbled. Tulsa got the ball. So that kickoff was great in, in what it looked like up until the very end. And then Tulsa has the ball. That doesn't count anymore. So, yeah, let's talk about the running game. Let's talk about special teams and being inconsistent. And then let's talk about penalties. I, I, penalties, these are things that Oklahoma is going to get deeper into 
conference play, and each game's going to carry a little more weight. You got six penalties against Arkansas State. You got nine penalties against SMU, seven penalties against Tulsa, eight penalties against Cincinnati. As an average of seven and a half penalties per game. That's that's going to cost them. That is going to end up being very, very costly. At some point. They've got to be better disciplined. They've got it. They've whether it's whether it's anxiety, whether it's the moment, whether it's apath- apathy. I don't know. They've got to get better, and here's the reason why. They will get no favors if there's one thing that we can buy into at this point. If there's one thing I think Sooner Nation across the board can agree on, they're going to get no favors from Big Twelve officiating, no favors at all. And so you're already averaging seven and a half penalties per game, and you're going against an opponent who, with the officials, they're not going to give you any favor. Look at look at the game of Saturday. You got the pass interference on uh, Andrew Anthony where he caught the ball, but he was straight up getting fleeced. By the way, that was voted as our play of the game uh, on our website, heartland-sports.com. That was voted this week as the play of the game. He's just straight up getting fleeced by the by the defender for Cincinnati ball still comes in his chest. He makes the catch, but it clearly pass interference official right there. No flag. Jalil Farouk gets murdered in the end zone. The defender knocks Jalil Farouk over and then tries to make a play on the ball. Official standing right there. No flag. Then you've got a pass that's ruled inbounds. Replay shows there's this thing definitely looks like it's out of bounds. The call on the field is upheld. So I think you would almost be super duper naive at this point not to think that the officials aren't going to throw a bone to Oklahoma. If you if you don't if you don't think Oklahoma their home field on Saturday, right? They're playing Iowa State, but if you don't think that Iowa State's going to get the benefit on the calls on Saturday, you're wrong. And not only are you wrong, you're not paying attention to what's happening. Now, Texas and the Cotton Bowl, that's where it's really going to get interesting because you got both teams exiting the Big 12 and both teams getting nothing from the officials. So here's the thing. I mean, I just feel like, I feel like we can argue about Dylan Gabriel. I feel like you can make some really, really good arguments in favor of the way he's playing. I think there are some critical things that you could talk to about. But I, I don't think it's, I think if you're calling for Jackson Arnold, you're probably over the top. I think we could talk about the pass rush, but I think if you really open your mind and look at what's happening in quarterback hurries, look what's happening in tackles behind the line of scrimmage, this defensive front is doing exceptional. I, I think those are conversations, but I don't think they need to be harsh criticisms. If you're going to find a harsh criticism, I just gave you a list of them. You look at the running back rotation in, in that situation, be it Jeff Levy, be it DeMarco Murray, be it on, on one of the four running backs. Find who's at fault and get that fixed. Uh, you, you look at the penalty situation. You got to get that fixed. The deeper you go in the conference play, the more opportunity is going to arise for that to be something that jumps up and bites you inconsistencies on special teams. Special teams often are the uns, unsung heroes 
of games, good or bad. Sometimes games are won because you made a great special teams play, and sometimes games are lost because your opponent made a great special teams play. It appeared that special teams was going to be something that was going to be a boost for this team in 2023, but it's been pretty much non-existent since Gavin Freeman's touchdown. I think you just raise concern. I don't think there's anything to criticize here because there's no one's going to listen to you, but you raise concern over what's happening with the officiating. The officiating, you know, you go back last year, what was it? One, the Oklahoma's opponents were called for holding one time in 2022. And that that was an interesting stat that was hard to pass off as a coincidence. But again, you look at what happened Saturday with the Big 12 commissioner in the house, by the way. And there's no way, there's no way you can argue against bias. There, there's, there's definitely bias going on. Hey, something we haven't talked about in a while is recruiting. So let's jump in there and talk about that for a few minutes. And we'll wrap up this bonus episode of the Sooner Nation podcast. Hey, so you remember one of the reasons why Lincoln Riley had to leave Oklahoma to go to Los Angeles was because it's just not possible to recruit the kind of players to Norman, Oklahoma, as it is to Los Angeles, California. And you need these type of players to be able to compete and to win championships. And this just can't be done in Norman. Well, turns out that was a Lincoln Riley problem and not a University of Oklahoma problem. He personally couldn't recruit those players, not because of Norman, Oklahoma, not because of the program, not because of the tradition of the program, but because of the person of Lincoln Riley, because all Brent Venables has done since he arrived in Norman is he's out recruited uh, Lincoln Riley. Oklahoma right now for the 2024 class, according to 24-7 Sports, the Sooners stand with the number seven class nationally. Uh, the crown jewels right now of this class, I mean, it's, it's up for debate, but I, I really think if you're looking at who the crown jewels are in this class, I, I believe it's David Stone, uh, the four, uh, five-star defensive lineman out of IMG Academy, and then Taylor Tatum, the running back. I think those are the two guys that you you look at this class and you see it's deep, um, you see it's talented. There's 24 commitments in this class already, and it's still growing. And you think this is a good class. They're putting together a very solid class across the board. Um, but those two guys kind of stand out uh, when you're looking at guys who are like, you think, wow, immediate impact guys are guys who have the highest ceiling. Um, those guys kind of rise to the top of that class. But but don't get me wrong. There's, there's a bang load of talent in this class. And it continues to grow and it continues. Um, you, you see how they're shaping this team. And... Look, it was a bad season in 2022. We we get that, and and some of that was uh, on the coaches, but a lot of that was on the player personnel as well. And when you're when you're recruited in one direction, uh, and you're taught in one direction to bring in a new uh, a new group of of coaches who change philosophies and change functionality on the field and change the way you prepare. You change everything about the program. Sometimes it weeds guys out immediately. And we saw some of that. Uh, and sometimes guys just mentally don't process through that. And, and we saw that. And, and, but then you there's guys like a Woody Washington, uh, who's just been, he's been revived, you know, his career has been revived, uh, since the arrival of Brent Venables on campus. And then you think, I, I, look again, I, I'm not a guy who's gone to 
throw a lot of accolades Lincoln Riley's way. Um, there is, you know, that, that story is what it is. It's not bitterness. It's not pettiness. It's just, I don't think he deserves anything after he left. Uh, he really doesn't deserve the breath we spend speaking about him. But I will say this. They recruited Danny Stutzman to the University of Oklahoma. And Danny Stutzman was a tight end in high school. Uh, and they saw the potential of this guy could be uh, as a linebacker. And, and I, I credit Brent Venables for developing Danny Stutzman into the player that he is right now at the University of Oklahoma. But as much as I hate to say it, I think you do have to give a nod to Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch for recognizing the potential that he had. So, I mean, I'm saying all that to say what Brent Venables has done to retool this roster through the transfer portal and then through the recruiting levels from the recruiting classes from the prep levels. It's a whole new team. And we talked about that preseason. We talked about how many new players are on this team uh, as opposed to when Brent Venables arrived and even how many new players are on this team from that team that walked off the floor of the, the Cheez-It Bowl uh, back in December. They continue to do it the right way. you got to get those key guys out of the portal, the guys like Andrew Anthony, the guys like Desan McCullough. But you're going to build – your program, the foundation of who you are. It's going to be built on these prep guys, guys like a David Stone, guys like Taylor Tatum. And, and you know, David Stone is a high-profile guy. He likes to talk about himself. He really enjoyed the recruiting process, and he brought a lot of attention to himself through that. And now where you get to benefit, if you're the University of Oklahoma, uh, you've got this high-profile guy who brought a lot of attention to himself. You keep him in this mix. You keep him committed. You keep him motivated. Guess what he's going to do? He's going to recruit for you. And I think you're going to see at least a couple more visits for I, from IMG guys. Now, one of them canceled over this coming weekend, um, but that's 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 – it's going to happen uh, regardless of what level you are, regardless of what the status of your program is. That's going to happen. Um, Danny Okoye from Tulsa, the, the homeschool kid, most recent um, most recent commitment to this University of Oklahoma 2024 class. And he's a three-star. I think he's the um, consensus number one player in the state, but he's a three-star guy. And I think the reason he's a three-star guy, he's a very underrated, undervalued three-star guy, but it's because he plays for the NOAA, the homeschool co-op up there in northeastern Oklahoma. Um, he only took, he had 30 scholarship offers, so that tells you a little bit uh, what you need to know about him. Of those 30 scholarship offers, he only took two official visits. One was to Oklahoma, one was to, to Tennessee. I know uh, Texas fans thought that they were in on him. He's an edge rusher, a power guy. Um, they thought they were in on him, but if, if the two verbal, uh, the two official visits came to Oklahoma and Tennessee, if you're a Texas fan, that kind of lets you know you were on the outside looking in, but he's the most recent commitment addition to this class. Um, I'm recording this probably about 45 minutes to an hour before uh, Terry B- uh, Bussey is uh, going to make his commitment. I don't think he's coming to the University of Oklahoma. He's a, a two-way player, an athlete. He's a kid that wants to play um I think he likes to compare himself to Champ Bailey from Georgia. He wants to play offense and defense. He wants to uh, be on both sides of the ball. Uh, seems to be uber talented, a five-star uh, five-star re- recruit, but I really think he's heading to Texas A&M. I know recently uh, he's 
had some love for Oklahoma and and it's just enough to in my opinion just enough to let Oklahoma fans get let down <laughs> you know what I mean I just just enough to pique our interest and think we have a shot but look whenever um whenever Texas A&M has such such a good track record whenever you have guys that are really close between them and another school. It's just like, cha-ching, you know, you hear the the cash register uh, cashing out uh, and they drop another bag there and, and they, they secure those commitments. I, I would love for this kid to be in the Crimson and Cream. I would be shocked, absolutely shocked, if his commitment comes out to the University of Oklahoma. So there are some guys out there, though, and, and Oklahoma really, uh, when you look at this class, they're loading up and they're stocking up, but I think they... I think, and I think they think their targets now is going to shift from more from defensive guys and skill position guys to offensive line guys, and and that's where you guys like Grant Bricks, for example. He's a four star um, offensive tackle right now. He's a heavy lean towards um, towards Kansas State, and I I think if it all came down at this point right now, uh, it, this, Oklahoma's in the same position with Bricks as they are. With Terry Bussey, um, they're they're just they're just barely barely outside of the commitment zone, and and there's still time for him. Um, there's a Michael Boganowski also. I think he's a safety, not a not an offensive line guy, but he's another guy that you hear talked about a lot with Oklahoma recruiting on the 2024 class, and I I think right now as well he's a he's a Kansas City a Kansas State commitment. Um, I think if it all if signing day was this coming Wednesday, uh, I would put my money on Boganowski ended up in Manhattan as well. Um, but there's Kansas City guy. There is a guy, a four-star edge, um, Jason Ross. And I think he's a guy that Oklahoma's starting to make some inroads with. Uh, of course, there's the uh, – I started just talking about uh, offensive linemen. I'm so bad with names. If you listen to the podcast, this is not new to you. You know it. But the kid from London um, – I'm going to try it. Daniel Akinanumi. I don't know. I don't know how to say his last name other than to say I know he was on campus uh, this month. Uh, he's the kid from the NFL Academy in London, uh, a four-star prospect, um, offensive line prospect. I, I think he may be the next guy that you see land in this class. I think his commitment's about two and a half weeks out. Um, I think it's October 12th is when he's making his decision known. Uh, but I really think he's a guy that Oklahoma has a great chance to land and is likely to, to be tabbed as the next member of this class. Um, I don't know how to say his name. At Ken Academy, I, I, don't, I don't know. But, you know, you, if you follow recruiting, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't follow recruiting, just Google the offensive lineman from uh, NFL Academy in London. Uh, and he's a three- or four-star prospect, depending on what service you look at. And then there's a guy out, out, up in Tulsa, um, a defensive back, four-star recruit, Jordan Jordan Seaton is out there, um, and I think he's a guy again that's going to take some time. But I think ultimately um, Oklahoma is going to have a shot at landing him. Um, and then finally, when when you're talking about Oklahoma recruiting uh, in this moment, you might keep an eye on what's happening with Michigan State um, with firing Mel Tucker this week. They get to there's there's two things here that you need to keep an eye on. Number one, um, players that are currently on the Michigan State roster, once once Mel Tucker was fired, the transfer portal opens up for like 30 days, and they can enter their name into that transfer portal for the next 30 days. So keep an eye on that. 
N- number two, all those all those prospects, all those recruits, all those commitments, they're up for grabs again. And there's some guys there, both on the roster and on their recruit list that Oklahoma has interest in and has made offers to. So that's another way to kind of, if you're looking straight at the prep level, well, some of those guys are right now engaged with Michigan State, or they were. But also when you start looking at the transfer portal, that's where the next wave of guys may come out of. It may not be like the guys, you know, you had that wave coming out of Tennessee where you you got Eric Gray and Key Lawrence, uh, Wanya Morris. They all came as a wave from Tennessee. I don't know that it'll be that severe, that thick, but there there are a handful of guys. There's two or three guys on that Michigan State roster that I think Oklahoma has genuine interest in, and they were interested in Oklahoma before they they made their commitments to the Spartans. So that's another that's a brand new avenue to start looking at and having your focus on when you're looking at Oklahoma recruiting. We're we're turning the page to October, so really it's going to get crazy. October, November uh, is when you're going to try to lock down. If you're a recruiting staff, you're trying to finalize your way through the season and compete for conference championships, but you're also trying to lock down these recruits. So double duty for these coaches. Uh, but that's kind of where things are as of right now. Um, we'll we'll try to do a better job moving forward with keeping the recruiting updates going. Um, this is the bonus episode of the Sooner Nation podcast. We got Iowa State, Oklahoma preview uh, podcast dropping right after this one. So stay tuned. Thanks so much for listening. Again, you can find us on Twitter at Sports Heartland. You can find us on the internet, heartland-sports.com. Uh, drop a comment, send us a tweet. Uh, we love hearing back from you guys and their participation in the podcast. Enjoy your weekend. Boom, Sooner.